Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose? You who judge, those who practice such things and yet do them for yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard, impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's judge, righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for the glory and honor and immortality he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, they will be Theirs will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his will. Word. Amen. Thank you, brother. Can we put our hands together for the word of God this morning? And now, O oh Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be present. God, we pray that you will speak. Father, there is no great virtue in me, for I am but a sinner. But I'm grateful that you still know how to use broken people to do amazing things. Use me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you do me a favor? I'm a feely, touchy kind of guy. Can you touch the person next to you and say, it's great to be at church with you today. It's great. It's great. Great. It's great to be at church with you today. Amen. Amen. Well, as Japheth says, I'm, my name is Damian Chandler. I am hailing all the way from Sacramento, Calif Sacramento California. Uh, uh, uh. Yes, Sacramento, California. Uh, we've been there for four years, moved there from Alabama, moved there from Seattle, moved there. Alabama? What? In Boulder? Get out of here. That's so cool. And before that, we were in Toronto, Canada, where we are originally from. But after that, I grew up in Barbados, so I've kind of been all over the world. But Boulder is kind of beautiful. If this was not the home of the University of Colorado Buffaloes and I was not a Washington Husky fan, I might actually move here. <laughs> Um, I bring you greetings from my church, Capital City Seventh-day Adventist Church, and from my family, my sexy wife, can I say sexier? I can. My sexy wife, Tansy Chandler, and my tribe, 
my, my uh, bossy princess daughter, Zoe, and my two rambunctious boys, Salem and Levi. If you were to ask my wife about me, my wife would say that I was one of the nicest people she knew. My wife would tell you that though she's an introvert, I'm an extrovert, and as an extrovert, there's no strangers that I've ever met. I go into Starbucks, I start conversations with people. Before we're done, we're crying. I have their number, their credit card, and their social security number. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of make friends with everyone. But that is my outer voice. You know everybody in the world has two voices. Your outer voice and your inner voice. In my outer voice, I am as close to Santa Claus as it gets, except that I'm broke and I can't buy anybody gifts. So to all the kids, you just got disappointed twice. With my outer voice, I am a, a great pastor who stays at the church last and wants to talk to everybody in the building. With my outer voice, I can encourage and build up and, 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 and sing you to heaven but with my inner voice. With my inner voice, when you cross me, I cuss you with real cuss words. With my inner voice. With my inner voice, when I'm at, when I watch a baseball game and some fool in the stands reaches down and catches a ball that is actually still in play and my team loses, I cuss him with real cuss words too. In my inner voice, when you cross me on the highway, I roll up my window so you won't hear me. I turn off my Christian music. I turn on some rap or rock and roll and I cuss all you two. <laughs> Everybody has an inner voice. Everybody has an outer voice. The outer voice is a part of us that we want people to hear and know and see. The inner voice is the part of us that if we are smart, we keep mum. The outer voice is the one that we use with microphones and the inner voice is the ones that we use when we're alone at home. Everybody has two voices, an outer voice and an inner voice. Your outer voice is your public voice. It's the you that everybody knows. But your inner voice is your quiet voice, your private voice. My, out, my inner voice comes out most when I'm driving. And so, Japheth, I was driving down the street the other day and I saw this lady. She had a cell phone in one hand and a drink in the other hand. Now, I don't know if, I've, if you've met anyone out there that has more than two hands, but those are two. Cell phone in one, a drink in the other. I, I cussed her out too. And I, I said, what an idiot, what a fool, what, how, 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 how irresponsible. You're, 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 you're out here to kill everybody. How important could that text be? How important could that call be? I, I, I just went down the list and I said, you idiot, from inside of my car, in my inner voice. 
If you want to know the power of your inner voice, you ask your wife. Because with your outer voice, I tell my wife how beautiful she is. But with my inner voice, I condemn her every time she makes a mistake. With my outer voice, I tell my wife that I love you and I love you with a never-ending a never love. But with my inner voice, my wife feels my rage and my anger when she does something that I don't like. See, the problem with your outer voice and your inner voice is that your outer voice determines your words, but your inner voice eventually determines your actions. And your actions will always betray your words. Husbands and wives in the building right now know exactly what I'm saying. Because as husbands, we say what we're supposed to say, but we can't hide our faces or our emotions when we say it. Our inner voice starts to leak out and it nullifies everything that we've said. It's true in marriages and it's also true in the church. With our outer voice, we say that we want to save the world. We want all the lost people to come to worship with us at the church. But then they come and they hear our inner voice. And with our inner voice, we say, we want to save the world, but we don't want to sit next to them in the pew. We want to save the world, but we don't want to change any part of us to make them feel any more comfortable around us. So we want to save the world as long as the world stays in the world and never comes into the church. With our outer voice, with our outer voice, we say that we care about the community. But when there's an important meeting happening in the community, none of us are present. When there's a shooting, there's none of us there. With our, with our outer voice, we say that we care, but with our inner voice, we say that we don't. It's true in marriages. It's true in the church. And the reason why is because our, our inner voice is a voice of judgment. And judgment is born of comparison. When we judge someone with our inner voice, we take our sin and we write our sin on a pad with common letters, small s, small i, small n. And then the law of physics will say that you'll naturally migrate until you find a void or vacant space. And so you find someone who you perceive has capital S, capital I, capital N. And then on your insides, you feel a lot better about your common S, common I, common N, because at least you're not capital S, capital I, capital N. And as long as you can find someone in a worse position than you, it makes you feel okay about who you are. With our outer voice, we express love. With our inner voice, we express hate. So, I found as I was reading Romans chapter 2 that what God was screaming from heaven is, I'm sick and tired of listening to your outer voice, knowing that your outer voice does not match your inner conversation. And I want to finally 
grab hold and take hold of what the dialogue and the conversation that you're having on the inside of you. Because no matter what I say with my mouth, God in heaven is hearing what I'm saying with my heart. And so in Romans chapter 2, I believe God wanted to deal with it. Now I start to ask myself, God, if, if my outer voice is correct. Why do you even care about my inner voice? And the reason was found in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. And it says, man hears the outer voice, but God listens to the heart. And then I said, well, why are you listening to my heart? And he said, because in Proverbs 23, 7, because as a man thinketh in his heart, so will he be. So God was saying to me, Damien, it does not matter what you say to your wife with your mouth. She will always feel your hatred from your heart because it's leaking through your pores. And until I deal with the way you feel on the inside, it won't matter how many gifts you buy or how much you hug or how much you tell her you love her. She will never feel it because what she's seeing and what she's hearing don't match. So I need to fix your heart. I need to rewrite your inner voice. Now, I don't know. I'm in Boulder, Colorado, so maybe you guys are different than me. But is there anybody in the building that struggles with your inner voice? Well, then let's dig into Romans chapter 2 and see how God intends to deal with our inner voice. The problem with dealing with Romans chapter 2, in my opinion, Japheth, is actually that in order to dig into Romans chapter 2, you've got to kind of lose your mind and stop being Boulder Church in Boulder, Colorado, and go back to being somebody in Jesus' day. Because if you went back to being someone in Jesus' day, you'll realize that there is no Romans chapter 2, there's just the book of Romans. And as a result, Paul is having an ongoing conversation, and that conversation is not divided or parsed or, 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 or broken up. It's just, a con it's just a continual conversation. So when Japheth says, you're preaching on Romans chapter 2, I sent him back the text that I was actually preaching on. He said, this is not Romans chapter 2. And I said, Japheth, I know it's not Romans chapter 2, but it's what I'm preaching on. He says, well, the people think that you're going to preach on Romans chapter 2. And I said, well, tell the people that I'm preaching on Romans chapter 1 then. I think it's still in their Bible. <laughs> in order to understand Romans chapter 2, you've got to go back to Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1, it says, I believe in verse 18, that there was a God in heaven that made himself obvious. He made himself clear. He made himself beautiful. He revealed himself in all of creation, in the mountains and in the trees and in our bodies and in our breath and in our heartbeat. God made himself obvious. But then people rejected the obvious to believe the impossible. And so instead of believing in a God that made himself clear, they started to look to mountains that he created. And the Bible says that they worship the, create, the created rather than worshiping the creator. Then he says, therefore, God gave him over to all kinds of crazy and evil things. Sins that were overt. Obvious sins. 
even if I could say odious sins. Those sins are the ones that make the sinner's hall of fame. Egregious sins. Not sins like lying or hatred or racism. No. Bigger sins. I'm talking about the big stuff like having a child out of wedlock. I'm talking about big stuff like actually believing in what the state of Colorado says that marijuana is, 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 is a medicine and it's not an illegal drug. Big stuff like drinking coffee. The kind of stuff that we call together boards and we eject people out of the church. The big stuff like singing music too fast and playing music with drums. Why deal with the small stuff like lying and disrespecting our parents? That's small. So, so Paul lists all these big things, all these egregious and great and grand things. And what I could see, Japheth, while I was reading is what I could feel in my heart. I'm glad that's not me. And Paul, that's not me either. And I've never done that. And I've never done that either. And I've never done that. And I've never done that. Oh God, aren't you glad that you have a Christian like me so that you could uh, uh, spend, I used to think, literally I used to think when people share their testimonies, oh, I've been addicted to this, I've never done that. I used to have sex, no, I never did that. I used to, and I used to say to myself, God, aren't you so happy to have me? Like, you were able to save some grace that you could have used on me to put it on the people that really need it. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. My testimony is, I've never done anything, I've never gone anywhere, and you know, if I was Adventist my whole life, which I wasn't, that's my only blemish, I would have been able to say, for generations, four and five generations, even back to Ellen White, that was me. <laughs> Can you see it? Read Romans chapter one. It's an actual letter written to Roman Christians. Can you see them pointing their fingers and saying, I'm glad I didn't do that. God, aren't you glad I didn't do that? Aren't you glad I didn't do that? Paul is just setting them up though. Paul is just setting up these, 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 these Christians, these Adventist Christians, these Christians that don't eat and don't wear and don't do and don't and don't and don't and declare to everyone in the world that they are the remnant and they're, they're the remnant because of this and they're remnant because of that and that their kids are, are, are all in remnant schools and they all go to remnant churches on remnant days and, and yeah, they wear remnant clothes and they drive remnant cars. Yeah, Paul, Paul is allowing them to feel themselves a little bit because they can say, I never did any of that. But then Paul comes back in, Revel in Romans chapter two and he flips the script. See, in Romans chapter one, there's three chairs and whoever is out there, I am not close to the end of my sermon. There's three chairs. Come on. I'm a pastor of a black church. Like we have church till, like church is gonna start at 11. And we're gonna worship till 4.30 in the evening. So at least give me an hour and a half in my sermon. In Romans chapter two, there's, there's actually three chairs. The first chair is the chair of the judge. 
a judge. A judge evaluates the situation, decides on who is guilty, and then finally executes judgment, punishment. So in Romans chapter 2, there's a judge. Let's assume that the judge is Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 1, Paul starts to call all of these, all of these issues, all of these problems, all of these things. And so, uh, Japheth, if you would join me up here with your long beard, you kind of look a little bit like, like Jesus with a, with a beard or Moses or, or something like that. If, if you would sit over here and you would just be our judge. Can you put your hands together for Japheth? <laughs> Crossing your legs in your boots, just like a judge. I, I, need, I need two other people, and you know, you, you told the, the children's story so well, I wanted to run down and run through the things too. So since you did that, could you please join us up here? Can, could you sit in, in seat number one? Sit in this one over here. Oh, Thank you. Can we fun. put our hands together for her too? It is great. What is your name? Jessica. Jessica. All right, now I need one more. <laughs> You're running the whole worship service. <laughs> Can you put your hands together for the producer? Come on, producer. <laughs> Have your seat. In Romans chapter 2, there are at least three chairs. And in every courtroom, there's at least three chairs. You cannot have a courtroom without least, at least three chairs. There's at least a chair for the judge. There's at least a chair for a witness. And there's at least a chair for the accused. At least three chairs. In Romans chapter 2, though, we're going to assume that there's just a judge and two accused people. And when Paul starts to list all of the egregious, ugly, odious, nasty sins, one of the accused gets up and says, I'm glad that's not me, and moves their chair over to sit next to the judge. Because the purpose of salvation is so that we can become judges of others. So now we have two judges and one accused. I don't know about you, but I've never been a court with two judges. And in fact, Japheth, I started to look and I started to study. And do you know that there are some, there are some countries, not this country, but there's some countries where if, if you committed a crime or you had a felony, you couldn't possibly be a judge. If you've ever, if you have any record, any record whatsoever, if there's anything on your record, you can't sit in the judge's, in the judge's seat. If you've ever made a mistake, you can't sit over there. If you've ever done anything wrong, you can't sit over there. If you've ever needed grace, you can't sit over there. You've disqualified yourself from being the judge of anyone because you have a record. Every single believer has a record. And when we are saved, we're not saved to sit in the judge's seat. We're not saved to decide whether or not people get to go to heaven. We're not saved 
to decide whether or not people are worthy. There's only ever one judge's seat in any courtroom. And when I become the judge, I don't leave room for Jesus to be the judge. And Japheth, the difference between me and Jesus is that I have an inner voice. And my inner voice looks for comparisons. And I feel good about myself as long as there's someone that seems to be in a lesser place than me. But read Romans chapter 2 after he talks about all the egregious things and all the finger pointing. He comes back to the end and he starts to say, and you who, are, who lack patience, and you who have a foul mouth, and you, and you. And he adds all of these little sins to the greater sins and he says it's all the same. And then he comes back in Romans chapter 2 verse 1 and he says, so if you've ever judged anyone else, else for things that you have struggled with yourself you are out of place because judgment can only be given by one who doesn't have a record my prayer for this church is that we will get out of the judgment seat and instead of being a judge can you stand one more time We'll decide to be a witness. Oh, there's a big difference, my brother, between a judge and a witness. The witness's job in God's court is to tell every single person about how amazingly merciful and graceful the judge is. Do me a favor. Can you go with me to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to read this text because this text is so rich and so beautiful. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, it says, And you, all of you, he made you alive, those who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you, were, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust. We all, every single one of us, none of us born a saint, none of us born perfect, none of us born worthy to be a judge. He says every single one of us has something on our record. We conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, every single one of us, just as the others. Ooh, Jesus, but God, who's rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Jesus that as the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
and that not only of not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest anyone could decide to judge this is what it says about God it says God is rich in mercy what mercy means is that mercy means that you don't get what you deserve mercy so every once in a while, my kids act the plum fool. Like I got home the other day. I was so mad. My wife calls me on the phone and says, hey, I got to tell you something. I want to warn you before you get home. And I said, what happened? He said, the kids spilt a little bit of paint on the concrete patio outside. I said, huh? A little bit of paint? No problem. I get home. <laughs> I walk outside. And I say to myself, this is not a little bit of paint. How does any thinking human being do all of this? They sprayed paint on the concrete. They sprayed it on the grass. They sprayed it everywhere. And then they were inside in their pajamas. And then what killed me, I'm renting. I'm a pastor. I have no money. I look on the house. Jesus, have mercy. And my son spray painted the house in gold paint. Oh, my God. I was literally in the yard, and I said, Jesus! <laughs> they were in their pajamas. I went inside. I said, take off your pajamas. You put on some clothes and some shoes. I gave my youngest a toothbrush, and I said, scrub that wall. And I gave my oldest a bucket, and I said, go get some water. And I took off my belt, and I was about to whoop their behinds until they forgot their names. And then I saw my youngest. He walked up to me. He said, Daddy, we were trying to do good. And we made a mistake. The paint on the wall, I saw the paint on the concrete, and I put what I was spray painting on the wall, and the paint was dripping off of it, and I didn't know what to do. And rather than giving them a whooping, I ended up giving them a hug. They didn't get what they deserved. That was mercy. But grace... Grace is when God gives me what I don't deserve. Mercy is when I don't get what I deserve. Grace is when I get what I didn't deserve. So grace on that day would have been taking them out of the house and going to buy them some ice cream and spending the afternoon with them, hugging them and loving them even though they made a mistake. The reason why Jesus is the only one that can sit in a judge's chair is because rather than having an inner, an inner voice that says that you are condemned, he says there are no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because I'm a judge that's filled with mercy. I will not give you what deserve and grace I will give you what you could never earn and so he sits in the judge's chair and our job is just to be witnesses to say to the accused that I know a judge who is filled with mercy and grace to cover all odious obvious and egregious sins
And how do I know that? Because he covered mine. I told you at the beginning, and I'm about to close, that I cuss with real cuss words at people who drive and text. <laughs> ah, that inner voice. So, I happened to be driving one day in Huntsville, Alabama, about a year and a half ago, and I was on my way to a church service today, like I was late coming today, and I needed to tell the praise team that the songs that we were going to sing, because I was so late that they were going to be on stage before I arrived, and I took out my phone, and I was texting while I drove. Now, the problem with it is that God had specifically told me by his spirit weeks before, don't do it. Don't text and drive. Pull over to the side of the road. Don't do it. But I was late, so I started to text. At least I was at a streetlight. The car was stopped. The car in front of me was stopped. And then I looked up and I saw green and went back to texting and pressed the gas. And I smacked into the back of this lady's SUV. I wrote off the rental I was driving. Don't worry, Japheth. I won't text and drive in the rental that I have today. And I felt like a fool. Because how are you going to make the mistake that you spent so long judging people for? And I got out of the car. I was expecting her to absolutely beat me down. And she walked out of the car, you know what she said to me? She said, are you okay? And I said, I said I'm so sorry. She said, don't worry about it. My car is fine, and you are fine. I have insurance, it'll get fixed. And I probably didn't need to get to work on time today anyway. <laughs> then she looked at me, Japheth. She says, aren't you a pastor? I said, I am. She said, I came to your church three years ago, and your church put on a battle of the bands, and my band won. And I remember being in that church saying to myself, it was one of the most loving places I had ever been. Thank you. That is grace. And for those who have received grace, it's foolish of us to have received so much grace and be so graceless. But if you know like me that God has covered you, your foolishness, your insolence, if you know like me that when you look in the mirror, you think about the things you've done, you say to yourself, you idiot. Then if you know that God has covered it, then he invites you to be a covering for someone else. For to whom much grace is given, much grace is required. If anyone in this building struggles with your inside voice, I invite you to lay it down before the Lord today and ask him to help you even on your insides 
to not be judgmental, but to be full of grace. Our Father and our God, we just want to thank you so much. Thank you for covering us with grace. And thank you for now calling us to be a covering for someone else. Jesus, we release you to be the judge. We won't sit in your seat. We will sit in the seat of witnesses to tell the world, to tell the lost, that the judge of all creation is merciful and full of grace. Thank you. We love you. We will no longer sit in your seat. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>